Strange Stories UK here again. Season 2, Episode 9. I'm calling this one Midsummer Murder at Bosom. The Murder of Valerie Graves in West Sussex. This is a short story today. It's a recent Sussex murder that proved a difficult case to solve. As those who have listened in the past will know, it's recorded in one take with no editing, no, so apologies for any background noises. Um, I have about a thousand downloads for each episode that I broadcast. My top download episode is 1800 downloads. My worst to date is 600 downloads. This being my episode on Piltdown Man, again in Sussex, which I enjoy doing. Visiting the site, despite being told to clear off by the, the current owners of the land, who fenced it all off. Anyway, a quick note about the uh, Abdor de Gay's uh, case, which I made into a podcast in early December 2019. And I got fed up waiting for the verdict from the court before posting The jury were unable to reach a verdict. McLeod and Burns were accused of his murder will face a retrial sometime in 2020. So we will revisit that case if there's any conclusion or any new information that emerges about the case. Anyhow, today's case is set in the West Sussex coast. Bosom, West Sussex. A coastal village on the Chichester Harbour where the Romans may have first landed in 55 BC during their invasion of Britain. Not a great deal has happened there since, although it often makes the local news when cars parked at low tide at Bosom Quay get submerged when the tide comes in. Smugglers Lane at Bosom has a large detached million pound plus houses dotted on one side of the lane, overlooking fields and a creek on the opposite side of the lane facing onto Chichester Harbour. On the 22nd of December 2013, Valerie Graves was house-sitting at Hove Off, a six-bedroomed house at Smugglers Lane in Bosom. She was staying at the house for Christmas with some of her family. Her two adult children, Tim and Jemima, visited for Christmas, uh, but she was there for a two-week stay with her mother, Eileen, aged 87, her sister Janet, 60, and her sister's partner, Nigel Akers, who's 59. Various other friends and family were visiting at some time or other during the Christmas week, but it was actually Janet and Nigel who'd been asked to house-sit for the owners. The house was owned by Malcolm and Caroline Chamberlain, who were away spending Christmas in Costa Rica in the Caribbean. Nigel was friends with Malcolm Chamberlain. They'd been involved with the same basketball team in the past. Malcolm was the manager of the Kingston Basketball Club in South London in the 1980s, when Nigel was a player. Malcolm was now aged 66, and he was a millionaire, made money from the electronics business that he had and health in fitness centre, expect. It was also thought that Chamberlain had invested in property, and it was one of his properties that Graves' sister and Nigel Akers had bought to make their home 
in Weybridge in Sussex. 55-year-old Valerie had owned a gallery and a craft studio, Fintor Studio and Gallery. She made felt animals, or felt hairs, to sell and ran workshops in Roxburghshire in Scotland. She had moved to Bracklesham Bay about 10 miles from Bosham. She had moved from Scotland to care for her elderly mother and to be nearer her children and grandchildren. Valerie had been born in London and had married Roy Wood, also known as Ray Weird, Roy Weird, a musician and sound engineer and a Brighton character. They had been parted for some years, although they remained on good terms. Roy lived at, uh, or lives in Port Slade near Brighton. On December the 29th, 2013, Valerie headed to her ground floor bedroom at the rear of the house at about 10pm with her books and her iPad after saying goodnight to the others at the house. The next day, Valerie's sister Janet found that Valerie had been brutally bludgeoned to death. It had left a horrific mental image, which Janet has not been able to get off her mind. An autopsy later determined that the crime likely occurred around midnight. A patio door that led from Valerie's bedroom to the backyard, or the back garden, was found unlocked and seems to have been the method used to gain entry by the killer. Nobody else at the house had been disturbed during the murder. The room that Valerie was staying in was isolated, being at the back of the house on the ground floor of a house that had been designed with a layout similar to that of a ship. On the 29th of December, Nigel Akers, who was an architect, had been in London with friends. He had returned to the house at about 9.30pm. When the others had gone to bed, Nigel had locked the house up at about 11pm. Nigel was an obvious suspect to the police and his silver Lexus SUV car was seized by the police for a thorough search. A 14-foot motorboat was also removed from the property to be searched, and the house was taped off as a crime scene until the police had finished with their investigations. It was thought that Valerie may have l- looked out of a window and seen thieves trying to steal a boat, and she was spotted and attacked. People living in the area believed that thieves may have used a small boat to gain access to the six-bedroom house, which backs on to an inlet of the Chichester Harbour. It would have been quieter and would have given them the opportunity to tow the other boat away. There are also questions asked about the patio door uh, to the bedroom being unlocked, as if somebody had been expected, especially given the history of the house, of being a sex party house. But given Valerie's character, this was considered highly unlikely. Eddie Mears was an 80-year-old friend of the family, or a friend of Eileen Graves, and he visited the house on Boxing Day. He was questioned by the police for five hours. They took DNA samples and fingerprints and an eight-page statement from him. Mears said the police had suggested that it would take a long task for them to solve and the house would not be available to live in any time soon. The police came up with several theories, One being that Valerie was murdered by mistake, as one of the Chamberlain family had been the intended victim. The house was in an isolated part, way out uh, part of Sussex, 
and the police thought that the killer must have targeted the property in order to kill one of the Chamberlains. However, it was not thought that the Chamberlains had any such enemies or anybody that would want to kill them. Another theory was that Valerie was the intended victim. Police thought at first it's the most likely case. The attack was vicious and brutal, with a hammer, and Valerie was struck multiple times to the head and face. It suggested that somebody really hated her and that it was a crime of passion. There was no real sign of a struggle. The police confiscated the mobile phones of those at the house and gave them extensive inter interviews. It was also thought that the murder could have been the result of a burglary gone wrong, a random break-in, a random break-in which disturbed Valerie and she was murdered to keep her quiet. This was thought unlikely owing to the brutality of the attack and the fact that nothing had been stolen. It was thought that the burglar would have just run away. However, as the case progressed, this became an increasingly popular theory. Forensics teams searched the house. Police searched the area flooded uh, through the flooded fields. The flooded fields made the job very difficult. Divers searched the creek behind the property. Valerie's relatives and neighbours were repeatedly questioned. However, everyone that knew Valerie seemed distraught over her death and there didn't seem to be any positive motive. There seemed to be a breakthrough on the case on the 14th of January 2014 when a 22-year-old local man was arrested for the murder. Daniel Piera, who lived with his family 400 yards from the murder scene. Daniel was described in the media as a, a Portsmouth Football Club supporter, as if this had any bearing on the case. The police seemed quite confident at first. Daniel was detained for three nights in custody. Magistrates had given permission for him to be held as the police built their case against him. Daniel's father, with whom he lived with, had lived in the area for years and worked as a motor repair at a motor repair centre. Daniel's brother said that it was an absolute joke that he had been detained. He was a nice guy who wouldn't hurt anyone. His mother, who lived in Chichester, was so stressed that she could not leave the house. During March 2014, police realised that they had been holding the wrong person and Daniel was told that he faced no charges. It had been a hard couple of months for Daniel while he had been the chief suspect. It was never made clear why the police had actually detained him. On the day that Daniel was released, the 17th of January 2014, the flooded waters had receded. Police found a claw hammer at the Hart's farm about half a kilometre away in Ho Lane. It was thought to have been the murder weapon, which was later confirmed when Valerie's DNA was found on it, along with the DNA of, a, of an unknown male. The police published photos of the uh, hammer in the media, asking people if they'd lost such a uh, hammer in the period leading up to the murder, or if anybody had any dealings with anyone who'd threatened people using a hammer. And although not given out at the time, there was DNA also found on the door handle at the house and on Valerie's hands. The press were getting rather excited about links over fictional murders and the actual murder at Bosom, as the location had been used for films involving, involving murder stories. For example, an episode entitled Written in Blood for the Midsummer Murders TV show in 1998 
<clears throat> was when a fictional victim was bludgeoned to death in a bedroom, similar to the fate suffered by Valerie. The murder was being called the Midsummer's Murders in the press. Also of interest to the press was the history of the property, Hove 2 in Smuggler's Lane. It seems that evidence was uncovered that the house had been a swingers venue. The house had featured on a website for swingers, suggesting that the house could be used for casual sex and discreet relationships. The profile of Malcolm Chamberlain, who was described as the director of Fun and Pleasure, had a picture of him posing naked and listing his interests, including bondage, discipline and high heels. It's not known who posted the pictures on the site, as Malcolm Chamberlain and his wife Caroline, also known as Jane, denied putting the pictures online. During April 2014, the murder was featured on the BBC crime series, Crime Watch, requesting the public to give help. The police interviewed about 10,000 people in the first year of the investigation and a reward of £20,000 was offered and there was a Valerie Graves murder website put up to give out information and to request information. By late 2014 it had been decided by the police to begin a voluntary mass DNA screening of men aged, uh, aged over 17 living or working in the area. A DNA sample had been isolated by this time in order to check against the uh, other people's DNA. It was not expected that the murderer would come to volunteer his DNA for analysis, but in such cases it's hoped that a near relative will give DNA which will help identify the killer. Men were invited to the Millstream Hotel in Bosham to give a voluntary sample. Police handed out leaflets and put up posters about the DNA screening. Participants will be shown a video about the process before they provided a thumbprint and a swab taken from the inside of their cheek in a process lasting about 20 minutes. Negative samples were then destroyed after participants were had been informed of the result by email. This process went on during the first anniversary of the murder when Valerie's children went on television to make fresh appeals for information and appeal for local people to provide DNA samples. On the first anniversary of the murder, the case received a fair amount of publicity in the media. Valerie's children, Tim Wood, aged 32, and Jemima Harrison, aged 35, both fought back tears as they described spending their first Christmas without their mother. Mr Wood said his three-year-old daughter, Evie, now calls her Nanny in the Sky. Also for the first anniversary of the murder, on the 29th of December 2014, police put on extra patrols in the area to reassure residents. There was some cynicism over attempts to take the DNA of males with links to the area. Firstly, the locals felt that it was unlikely to be a local person, more likely to be a foreigner or a transient person passing through. Secondly, every single person would have to provide a sample as the process was voluntary and people have their suspicions over police testing so not everybody would come forward to provide a sample. Eventually, about 2,500 samples were taken against a police target of 5,000. So not an overwhelming success. During February 2016, there was a double murder in nearby Chidham, about three miles away, 
and it seemed to have similarities with a bosom case. An elderly couple were battered to death with a hammer and then stabbed. After the murder, the house was set ablaze. But it was a family member who committed the, the crime and had no links with Valerie's death apart from some press speculation. The perpetrator later died as a result of the burns from a vapour cloud, which was a result of using petrol to set the house alight. June the 14th, 2016. An inquest was held into Valerie's death where the murder weapon was identified as a claw hammer. The injuries were described as not dissimilar to those received in a road traffic accident. There had been some defensive injuries to Valerie's hand, which were evidence of a short struggle. But it was also said that Valerie was first discovered her death was initially thought to have been suicide, until paramedics called to the house and said it was murder. The police investigation was called Operation Enzyme, and the inquest verdict was unlawful death. By this time the Chamberlains had sold Hove to, the house that had been described as being worth between £1.6 and £2 million was sold for a cut price £1,175,000. No doubt the recent history of the house impacted on its sale price. It seems that the case was to become an unsolved case. It was episode 7 on uh, Donald McIntyre's programme, Unsolved, broadcast during November 2015. In the programme, it was suggested that Valerie was in the wrong place at the wrong time. The cold case team thought that it was a burglary gone wrong, and it became a bigger crime to cover up a smaller crime. They said that the 16-ounce claw hammer, the murder weapon, was a significant because they're often used by burglars. The police had not given up on the case, and in December 2017, on the fourth anniversary of the murder, Detective Superintendent Jason Taylor announced in the media that the investigation team remained determined to find Valerie's killer and to get justice for her and her family, and they would do all they can to achieve this. Although in truth it looked like the case was to remain unsolved. The DNA screening stopped in 2018. On the 30th of December 2018, five years on, the police had put out another appeal for information, although the family told BBC reporters they feared that the murder would never be caught. The case would remain unsolved. There were no new leads, after a huge effort by the police after one of the biggest police murder investigations in Sussex, which saw almost 5,000 men in the area questioned and 3,000 DNA samples taken. The local community had concerns that maybe a killer was living amongst them and got away with murder. It seemed that a huge amount of effort had been put into the case for very little result. Then in July 2019 there was a break in the case. In Romania, a woman called Adina Marian, born 1992, informed local police in September 2018 over suspicions that her husband had been involved in the murder of Valerie Graves. The husband's name was Christian Sabu and he had been living in the Sussex area and now returned to his native Romania to be with his wife. Adina learnt that her husband had been unfaithful with a woman that he had met on Facebook. She was furious 
and the couple were going through a contentious divorce. There were also hints of domestic abuse and the wife was trying to distance herself from her husband. After his marriage ended and he lost custody of his daughters, Sabu left the village he'd been living in with his wife and he moved to a flat on Vlad Tep Street in Dej, named after the infamous 15th century tyrant nicknamed Vlad the Impaler for impaling his enemies alive on wooden stakes and was said to be the inspiration behind Bram Stoker's 1897 classic, Dracula. Sabu had moved into a flat with a new girlfriend, Gabriella Granti, aged, eight, aged 41. Adina had contacted the Romanian police in September 2018 to say she thought Sabu had murdered Valerie, as he kept a close interest in the developments on the case, and she recognised the murder weapon as being similar to a hammer owned by her ex-husband. She explained that she had informed on her husband as if he was a cold-blooded murderer, she could not live with herself for not having that knowledge and not done something about it. He admitted the crime to her when he returned home for a holiday, but warned her not to say anything after she said that she wanted to break up with him. Adina waited until Sabu returned to the UK in September 2018 to collect his belongings. Then she informed police both in the UK and Romania. She said that she had to keep pressing the police to take some action. Adina said that she was initially afraid to inform on her husband, as she was afraid what he might do to her and her daughters, although the reward money of £20,000 must have provided some motivation. The Romanian police passed on the information to Sussex police in April of 2019. Sabu had been kept under surveillance for several months and his wife gave DNA of his children to the police to compare against a sample from Valerie's murder. Forensic swabs were taken of her two daughters aged six and four in an attempt to provide familiar DNA evidence. It seemed to match DNA on the hammer on the bedroom door where the murders took place and on Valerie's hands. Sabu was arrested in the Transylvanian town of Dej on a European arrest warrant held in custody until his extradition hearing in July 2019. Sabu had lived in the UK with his wife for about five years. It was at the beginning of his stay in the UK that Valerie was murdered in 2013. Sabu stayed on for another five years before moving back to Romania to find work in the construction industry. During his extradition hearing Sabu openly confessed to murdering Valerie during a bungled robbery. Although he did not have to enter a plea or make any comment, it seems that his conscience may have got the better of him. And he stated, I was young, 21, childish and without a job. I did not have any money. It was my first time in England. I did not mean to harm her, it's an accident. I never did any harm in my life. Someone told me there was a lot of money in that house. And I went there, I never went there to kill anyone, it was just for money. I thought everybody was away. She was sleeping in bed, she woke up and surprised me. I panicked, I had a hammer with me, I did not mean to harm her. When the Romanian quarter asked Sabu if he had anything to say to Valerie's family, he simply said, I am very sorry, I'm really sorry. Sabu did not fight extradition, although the Romanian judge conceded to Sabu's request 
that if found guilty, he could serve out his sentence in a Romanian prison. Sabu was extradited from Romania to the UK, uh, arriving on the 19th of July 2019, appearing at Brighton Magistrates Court on the <clears throat> July the 20th. He was charged with the murder of Valerie Graves. He was remanded in custody until a court case in Lewis during November 2019, when the story of the murder came out. Christian Sabu had come from Romania to find work in the UK during 2013. He'd been sleeping rough and working in a car wash until he found work in a scrapyard and made a home in a caravan on an industrial site on the outskirts of Chichester, next to the A27 road. It was never revealed where the site was other than bordering the A27 road in the Chichester area. Now having caravan accommodation, he sent for his wife from Romania. She moved in with him, and during the years they lived on the industrial site, they had two children. Two daughters, one born in 2014 and the other in 2015. It was the Christmas of 2013 with money tight. He made about £35 a day on average. Christian had been doing some construction, labouring and gardening jobs, including some gardening work at Hove Off, the house in Smuggler's Lane. That's when he heard there was money at the house and the, the, that the family would be away at Christmas. His wife was living with him at the time in the caravan. She was pregnant with their first child. On the night of December the 29th, 2013, Sabu, with his claw hammer, cycled to Hove 2 in Smuggler's Lane, Bosom. He thought the house was empty. The owners had gone away for Christmas. He entered the house through the unlocked door to the rear where the bedroom was on the ground floor where Valerie was sleeping. It did not occur to him that if the door was unlocked, the house was likely to be occupied. Valerie woke up. Sabu panicked and repeatedly struck her with a hammer, causing severe head and facial in injuries. He then made off throwing away the hammer in Ho Lane. Sabu maintained that he did not go to the house with the intention to harm anyone, but he had consumed a lot of Jack Daniels to give him Dutch courage, in which he claimed was his first burglary. Sabu had continued to live in the area, although his wife moved back to Romania when it was time for the older daughter to start school. Sabu sent money back to Romania, even if he could not spare much, but the difference in standard of living in the UK compared to Romania was such that the money allowed a comfortable living. A pound sent to Romania would buy ten times that in the UK. That's the reason why so many people come to find work in the UK, work of any kind from Eastern Europe. It was not clear where Sabu was living in the UK up to October 2018, when he moved back to Romania. It's thought that he moved to Croydon and then later to Bognor Regis, and it was likely that he'd be involved in other criminal activity. There was a renewed criticism of the police for their decision to use DNA screening. It beggared belief for some that the murderer had done odd jobs for the Chamberlain family in the past at the house. Surely the police would have thoroughly investigated anyone with links to the property before starting an expensive DNA screening programme. It was not known if Malcolm Chamberlain had ever had dealings with the murderer whilst he was working as a, at the house as a gardener. 
but if the police had questioned him closely about the people who had been at the house doing building work, doing odd job work, gardening work, it's likely that his name would have emerged and without the need for the extensive DNA screening. Some people had thought that the screening programme was never going to work anyway. It was voluntary. There were mutterings of totalitarian police state using the murder as a pretext for operations that the public would not have otherwise tolerated. It was argued that Valerie Graves was not from the local area. It was unlikely to have anybody local that would have wanted to harm her and there was no apparent forced entry. As it was, the murderer was somebody who did not live in the area but had limps with a house and was apprehended without any real input from the local police, from the Sussex police. Sabu, although living near Bosom, did not fall into the geographical boundary decided upon for the DNA sampling, indicating that the sampling procedure had flaws in it that the murderer could have either fled the area or lived outside the boundary zone. At the trial, Christine Lang was the judge. She told Sabu that it was your dishonesty and greed that took you to the house. It was your cowardice and lack of morality that caused you to kill Valerie Graves. She sentenced him to 24 years, with uh, which would be served in Romania. Sabu was said to have shown no emotion as he received his life sentence. The judge praised Sabu's ex-wife, Adina Maoyal, for having the decency and courage to come forward, adding that the murder would have remained unsolved if it had not been for her. Adina, who had returned to Romania, told the Sun newspaper, I feel sorry for Valerie's family and ashamed of what my husband had done to cause them so much pain. I hope that this verdict will bring them some comfort. Later, speaking from her farm in Transylvania, she said, I was afraid because I thought that he'd killed once, he might do it again. And now she fears that her ex has friends who will avenge him. She received the, the reward of £20,000 and was free of an abusive husband who had threatened to cut her throat and that of her daughters if she did not keep her mouth shut. The crime statistics for Bosom are almost non-existent. The last murder I can find any record of there was in 1847. Smuggler's Lane isn't that neighbourly. No one really knows anyone anymore. You're more likely to recognise a car than the person living in a property. In good weather, it's a popular spot to come for a walk and a pub lunch. But you'd have to make the conscious effort to turn off the A27 to visit. Well, that's this podcast finished. The first podcast of 2020. On reflection, you have to feel sorry for Valerie Graves, totally random murder in an unexpected place. Thank you for Damselfly for the background music, and thank you for listening, and until next time, goodbye.